right, well, Kamini, welcome to This is 50, Freedom Through Passions. I am excited to talk to you today. <laughs> you uh, have a, an amazing story. I love it. On our pre-call, I could hardly wait to uh, get into this uh, interview. So uh, we're going to step in right away into some four questions. And then after that, we'll get right into the podcast. And I want to hear all about your story. And uh, it's, a, it's a great one. So um, let's start with the first four questions. So the first question that I ask my guests now as I move forward is the first one is share the best part of your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, the best part for me has been the recognition that I can do hard things. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Okay. I love it. That's good. Good. Um, okay. The second question, what advice do you have for hesitant women in midlife who may be considering entrepreneurship? The best advice I have is to get curious with that hesitancy to understand where it's coming from, because most often it's someone else's voice. And once you recognize whose voice it is, you can actually work through it. Okay. Okay. We're going to expand on that in the interview for sure. Mm -hmm. Get curious about what, vo whose voice it is. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Okay. Um, okay. And the, the, the third question is, you started your business in your 40s. So what inspired you to start it in your 40s versus when you were younger and right out of school or even in your you know, sort of late 20s, 30s? Well, to be totally honest, in my late, in my 20s and 30s, I was still running someone else's narrative. I was doing what was what I thought I should do rather than what I truly felt called to do. And so I got to my 40s and finally gave myself permission to actually live the life that I wanted for myself rather than for somebody else. That's amazing. And we're going to get into that part of the story in the interview. So uh, whoever's listening, just it's, it's an amazing one. So it's good. Um, okay. And then how has entrepreneurship impacted your overall well-being? Well, it has really taught me so many different things. I said, you know, it taught me that I can do hard things, but entrepreneurship itself, uh, honestly, it's been part of my my business from the very beginning, which we can talk about more, but it's just taught me that you can get creative. You can actually own what it is that you want to do and you don't have to be apologetic for what you're doing. And that really truly has come through just being this entrepreneur and the entrepreneurial journey, because you're going to make mistakes along the way. And it's learning that you don't need to criticize yourself, but instead get creative, learn from it. How do you want to grow from it? Yeah, no, that's excellent. That's excellent. All right. Well, thank you. And welcome to This is 50, Freedom Through Passions, Comedy Wood. I'm going to hand the floor over to you. Give us your backstory. Tell us who you are. <laughs> oh, thank you. This, this, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. <laughs> so it, I am Comedy Wood. Um, I'm actually a mom to five. My oldest is a professional ballerina. She's in her 20s. And then I have a 20-year-old, a 17, a 14, and a nine-year-old, or excuse me, 10-year-old at the time of this wow. recording. So full full life in terms of uh, the personal journey. Um, but from really, honestly, from my beginnings, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. I am the daughter of two immigrant parents. Um, mom came to the States in her early teens, dad in his late teens. Um, and so I grew up in this small town in Connecticut, predominantly white town. So a little girl yeah. with a name like Comedy, 
you look different, your name is different. Uh, part of my experience was trying to fit in, trying to belong. Uh, so my five, six-year-old self uh, turned into somewhat of a people pleaser, <laughs> trying to make sure that she could please others in order to belong, to feel like she was part of the system as a whole. Um, also being the daughter of immigrant parents, my parents worked really hard. Um, I have only respect for my parents. They were the most loving individuals. And also I created a story within myself that I did not want to be a burden to my parents. And so partially I attribute my perfectionism stemming from that where didn't want to fail, didn't want to create waves for my parents because they were working really hard to provide for my sister and I. Um, fast forward, I ended up in the dot-com industry. So I was part of that dot-com boom way okay. back when. Uh, worked as a project manager, actually ended up running the project management office for the company that I was at and eventually found myself uh, building and running my husband's law practice for about 15 years. So in both of those roles, I kept finding myself in a position of helping others figure out what they wanted and how they could grow and evolve and um, also making sure that they had what they needed to move forward in a professional standpoint. So that was my purse or my professional story. As I mentioned, personally, I'm the mom to five. As my kids started to get older, they started to uh, demonstrate some people-pleasing tendencies. Uh, like mm -hmm. I mentioned, my oldest is a ballerina, uh, so perfectionism, type A personality, definitely part of her makeup. But I was noticing that perfectionism, that people-pleasing in my children. And I was also starting to notice, especially in my middle daughter, how the people-pleasing was, was almost holding her back from really choosing what she wanted, but rather making sure everybody else around her was okay and recognizing that that was coming from me. That was coming from how I was showing up. So I also went on a personal transformation journey where I needed to do that deeper work. And that's where I realized that my people pleasing can, does stem back from when I was younger. My perfectionism does stem back from when I was younger. I do have a, a very high achieving personality. However, the people pleasing and the perfectionism was actually keeping me from doing the things that I wanted to do. And one of those things I really always wanted to do is work with people. I wanted to work with them one-on-one, -on -one, but I didn't know how because I was so busy making sure everybody else was taken care of. So as I went through that self-transformation and those awakenings and understandings of self, I came to the realization that that was my calling to take that personal experience. And also what I really loved from my professional work was working with people one-to-one, -one, really helping them figure out what they wanted. And I wanted to merge those things together. And that's how I realized that becoming a coach, working with individuals on their own human potential was what I was really called to do. So I went through many different training programs. I went throughout an official training program in life coaching, but then I've gone through many specialty certifications in order to fully feel trained in different modalities and in different aspects. So I really can work with individuals to help them move forward. And so I've been doing that for the last six, six and a half years at this point. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's a great journey. You know, it's interesting what you were talking about, like, well, first of all, congratulations for raising five wonderful kids, balancing a husband that, you know, has a busy career and now your own uh, entrepreneurial journey. So congrats to that. Um, one thing that you said was when you realized you saw your kids had similar, well, your two daughters had similar people pleasing tendencies. How did you know that, that that was from you? Like often we don't really, you know, recognize that. 
or somebody has to tell us that or a therapist has to sort of outline it? You know, it wasn't until um, I took that step back. You know, for me, it was happening, right? The kids are growing up, it's happening. But there was just one instance that I can recall where it just kind of, I don't know, it was like that moment, you know how they say sometimes the light bulb goes off. It was just a moment of an interaction where it just clicked for me. And I realized, oh my goodness, first of all, she's totally putting her needs aside. And she learned that from me. It was just that moment of, of awakening for me where I was able to, to connect the dots. And from that moment, I was committed to figuring out how I could show up differently so that I could show my children that they can be empathetic, but they don't have to give up their own needs in the process. Yeah, I know that's excellent. Oh my God, that's such good advice. So you're in your your you know your your you're essentially your husband's uh, business manager, really at at his law practice, and you have this realization at that point. What else sort of prompted you to know that your true calling or your passion to work with people uh, sort of prompted you to start upskilling yourself in the life coaching area and along with other types of um, sort of certifications and credit accreditations. So when you're at the office, you were mentioning to me that you found yourself helping people. And so what was that? What was that sort of calling? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I don't, again, it wasn't, I don't, there was a, I don't know that there was a, a light bulb moment when it was, when I was at the office, it was just every conversation I'd end up in was always about well, what do you want? And where do you what helping them unpack their strengths. And then it would evolve into personal things. It wasn't just professional things. So, you know, where do you want to go? How do you, I, I remember our, the paralegal that was with us for many years. I mean, I was with her through a college graduation, a marriage, and then pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for me to be part of that journey with her and witnessing her as she grew and evolved from this recent graduate all the way through to becoming a mom. And we're still in contact with each other now. And it's yeah. it's an amazing relationship that I was able to build. In terms of the the shift from running his practice into realizing that I wanted to run my own, I'll be totally transparent. I fought it for a while because I didn't think that it was okay for me to do my own thing. You fought it. So what were you saying to yourself? It was, yeah, that's a great idea, but you, you have to take care of this. This is, this mm-hmm. is where, you know, this is the important thing. This is, you know, he needs you to do this. And also this has been the family income. So, you know, this is where you're meant to be. This is what you should be doing. That was a big one for me. This is what you should be doing. And that was the big, I think, moment for me where I started to recognize the should was more based in fear. And it was Mm -hmm. fear of one, am I going to upset the system where I'm now starting to say, I want to do something on my own. The fear of what if I try to do this and it doesn't work. And now there's an investment of time and investment of money into it. And we have these five children. So what are we going to do with that? Um, But, but that's the key. That was the key for me is I recognize that there was a should rather than I'm actually, this is lighting me up this I'm actually choosing to be here. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it because clearly I found exactly what I enjoyed doing there in terms of 
you know, working with the staff, I would talk to the clients. I wore all the hats too. And there was definitely joy that I got out of the work that I was doing, but did it light me up from the inside out? No. And that's what I finally had to recognize and honor was that it's okay for me to choose to do something that lights me up just as much as the law was his light and what his dream was. It was okay for me to also do something for myself. You know, that's, that's excellent. And I, and I think that a lot of women do have that, well, oh God, but I should be really doing this or I should wait or I should do this. And, mm-hmm. and, and I love that you talk a little bit about fear there um, because maybe it's a little bit more inside your own head too. When you're saying, oh, I should, maybe it's like, well, it's because fear is telling you, well, you know, you might not be good enough to do this or what happens mm-hmm. if it fails, like you mentioned. What kind of conversations were you having with your husband over the years about just kind of a, a joint vision for yourself? Well, we had always originally talked about me helping start the company or start the law firm, and then I would phase out and I would go do something that I wanted to do. Okay. But that never seemed to happen. You know, it was always, well, there's more to be done or there's, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I, I wore so many hats. It was, well, I need you to, to do this or I need this to be taken care of. And as a people pleaser, you step in, that, that that's your MO, right? You're going to, somebody says that they they need that help, you're going to absolutely do it because you don't want to let them down. And so that's what kept happening was they, the time extended. First, it was just for a couple of years. And then, you know, you turn around and it's been 15 years. Yeah. Um, so so that was, there was this element in this idea from the beginning that at some point, comedy is going to get to do what she wants to go do. But then it became, like I said, just this roller coaster and you just kind of stay on it and you you have to give yourself permission to get off. You have to give yourself permission to say, okay, I, I'm now choosing something else and that's okay. So, you know, while the original plan was, okay, a couple of years in and then you'll step off, it actually ended up being a very difficult conversation when it was really time for me to say, okay, I'm really ready to choose something different because it had become such a, a, a normalized thing where comedy is going to be here running everything that it became scary for all parties involved. It wasn't just my fear. It, there was his fear as well of, well, can he run his the practice without having me there? And so, so that was, that was part of the conversation. Exactly. So let's get into that difficult conversation because I think a lot of women want to try something new and it doesn't mean that they've, they're helping their husband in their practices or their businesses. It could just be that, you know, they want to do something, but they've always prioritized, I guess, the man role in the family. And I I hate to say it that way, but I feel like it kind of is like that. It's, it's sort of a stereotypical uh, lifestyle, status quo lifestyle of women in their forties, fifties and, and older, maybe not so much our our kids now, or like my kid anyway, at 26, but you know, it's kind of interesting. So you've, you've built this trust in the business that you're running it. It's doing well, it's growing. And so it's like, Oh, what a great relief. Cause now I can just focus on my business myself. I.e., this is your husband thinking this mm-hmm. and, and you're thinking that too, like, okay, this is a well-run machine. You have that one day where you have this aha moment and you're like, okay, I think I'm ready to step out. Had you kind of paper napkined your business a little bit beforehand and tell us a little bit like how you approach that difficult conversation, because I think a lot of women get stuck and they're worried that their spouse is not going to support them in something that they want to do that's different, especially later in life. Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think for us, because of the dynamic of it being an, his own business, it I could I could 
uh, draw it out such that it wasn't a rip of the bandaid. I'm leaving you, leaving the business and see you later. It was more of a let's, I can phase myself out. I don't have to be here full time. I can start building up and ramping up my business separately so that that eased the dynamic. Um, Mm -hmm. Other people, and I just know this from a client that I'm working with, um, you know, her wanting to change courses with her husband or with her, with her work and having that conversation with her husband did not, she didn't have that option because it wasn't that they ran a business together. She was actually working and she wanted to change courses and he was not pleased at all. And they, they, you know, and that's, I think the fear that women come up against, which is when Mm -hmm. I tell him this, he is going to have a very negative reaction to this. And then what do I do? And as a matter of fact, you know, in, in this particular instance, this at that point in time, um, my client ended up giving up her dream because of the negative reaction. And I think that's what happens many times is that women will have that difficult conversation. Maybe their spouse or their partner doesn't receive it well. And then they're at this crossroads. Do I mm-hmm. still continue down the path or do I let it go? And I would never judge or say that somebody who let it go made the wrong decision. They Everybody has to make the decision that's right for them. It is important to kind of just bring out to the to the forefront, though, that that is a crossroads and that's actually an invitation for maybe deeper conversation mm-hmm. with your partner or with your spouse around, you know, how each of you is communicating and how each of you gets to have your own independence within the relationship, right? Because ultimately, healthy relationships, you have that interdependence where each person has their own identity, their own being, mm-hmm. their own things that they do. And then there's still that us, right? There's still the, the portion that's overlapping. Um, so in our particular case, I was able to at least soften the blow, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> by, by su- suggesting that I can phase myself out yeah. instead of do the, the, the huge rip of the Band-Aid. Um, and that that ended up helping ease, ease the transition for sure. Um, and, and from there, you know, it, again, it was not an easy conversation um, because the the status quo was comedy runs the business and I don't have to worry about it. Um, so any change is going to be difficult. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important for any individual who's wanting to make a change is to recognize that as you go down this path, it's not all unicorns and rainbows and there are going to be difficult conversations. And that's why I said, I've learned I can, I can handle difficult things because Mm -hmm. sometimes conversations, especially as a people pleaser, having difficult conversations is really, really scary. And we can get into an avoidance strategy when it comes to that. Like I know, like I try to avoid confrontation so much. I'd crawl through a window of a 500 story building before I had to have like this sort of conversation that I felt was going to turn into something a little bit more confrontational, I guess. Now, so let's back up just a tiny bit because, but I do want to ask you, how can someone prepare for those types of conversations? But before you answer that, what I'd like to know is, how did you know, how did you niche down in your business? So you've made this decision. You knew that you wanted to go out and sort of work with people that this was your passion. You, you know, you kind of went on your own personal journey of trying not to be a people pleaser. Uh, You know, you felt passionate about that. How did you like come up with this sort of business model, if you will, how did you take your idea and sort of turn it into something niche down on it? And then talk a little bit about your ideal client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, the niching down was done through practice. 
And what I mean by that is I got out there and started working with clients. I knew that I wanted to help them move forward. I didn't know what that really meant until I got into the practice and really running my practice. And so now Mm -hmm. I'm able to really fully uh, describe to people that my role is to work with them as their, their collaborator, their support system, their witness to help them understand themselves on a deeper level. Because if we really think about it, we don't really truly get ourselves. Most Mm -hmm. often we are running on autopilot or we're running with old narratives or someone else's story, someone else's voice. So my job is to help my clients understand themselves. Mm -hmm. And from that understanding, they can live into their human potential. And so Mm -hmm. that is how I ended up where I am in terms of what my, what my niche is, is I'm all about understanding of self. That's Mm -hmm. my bread and butter. And so when I'm working with my my um, ideal client, it's an individual who does feel stuck, does feel stagnant, has has the desire to either do more or to live more authentically within their world. And from there, we work together. So, you know, many people will say I work with a certain profession. I have therapists as clients. I have coaches as clients. I have doctors as clients. I have, you know, um, realtors as clients. I have, you know, all different professions, including people who are work from home parents, meaning they're taking Mm -hmm. care of the family. And I intentionally am saying work from home because it absolutely is job that somebody is doing. So I, I work with all of those. It's not about profession. It's about where you are and how you see yourself. And that's my, my job is to help you see yourself in a deeper, more enlightened way. No, I love it. You know, you said something there where you just, you know, I, I paraphrase here a little bit, but you you talk a little bit about like, you know, I really didn't know how to like where I was going to niche down until I kind of got started and then it sort of molded mm-hmm. itself. And, you know, so many times on the this podcast, a lot of the guests are seeing very similar things where it's like, just get on the path. And when you're on the path, stuff just starts to present itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And you, you and I, in our pre-call, you talked a lot about just, I just get started. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it is like, it's good enough is what you said to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that. And maybe expand a little bit more on that. Like when you're working with your clients, so you're not working with like a particular age group or, you know, your or, you know, gender or anything like that. You are just, it's, you know, you're stuck. I can help you get unstuck. Yeah. No, it's true. Cause I work with teenagers all the way through mature adults okay. because all of us experience, we're all dealing with the human experience. And that's really exactly. what I'm doing is helping us understand each person's, what are, how are you experiencing life? How are you experiencing your humanness? And can I help you move forward in the best way possible? Uh, and, and yes, I'm a firm believer in and it's, and it's hard as a perfectionist, it was really hard to let go of, wait, I need to have everything lined out and it needs to be perfectly mapped out. And I need to, here's my blueprint. And I got stuck there for a little bit and recognized I'm going to have to just start doing this because we learn by doing, you know, we, we can have a recipe in front of us, but we're not going to really understand how to fully bake whatever it is we're baking until we just get in there and start putting all the ingredients together. And sometimes we realize as we're putting the ingredients in that we want to throw something else in there because it feels right for us or because that's something that we would enjoy. 
And that's what we have to do when we're building a business is it needs to come from a place that's heart based as well as something that you truly enjoy. Otherwise it just becomes yet another task task box. Nine to five. It just becomes another nine to five where you just show up, get up every day, brush your teeth, go to the gym, go to work, come home, make dinner. Look at, and is that how we really want to live our lives? Um, maybe we're a little bit stuck, you know, with kids or sick parents or whatever, but I think you can still make that change regardless of the circumstances around you. It's just understanding how to manage it. And that this is where I want to go back to you know, the conversation, having a difficult conversation, because I think the more how you sort of you were talking, you were sort of suggesting that it's like get prepared for the conversation. Don't just sit mm -hmm. down and say, hey, I wanted to start something new. While you were talking about the difficult conversation that you were going to have with your husband, I was thinking, you know, that's such a great way of thinking of it, like how she you were talking to him through his fears. So you sort of understood what his fears were going to be like, oh my God, who's going to run the business? How are we going to work without you? Because, oh my God, you've done such a great job. Everybody trusts you. I trust that you're running my business perfectly. Who is going to replace you? And, and who's going to have so much passion for the business as you being the wife and you know mm -hmm. the mother mm -hmm. and all that? So right. how can somebody prepare for a conversation rather than just having the conversation, sure. how, yeah. what do you tell your clients? How do they, how should, what lens should they be looking through? Well, you know, it's, it's, first of all, it's not denying the fact that you, you feel uncomfortable with it. I'm one of those people that truly believes, and this comes up in conversation around setting boundaries too. I think oftentimes, and especially now people are constantly talking about setting boundaries, but nobody really says, and it's going to be difficult. It is going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we have to, in these conversations, just acknowledging that there's going to be discomfort is a huge part of it. You know, recognizing and acknowledging that this conversation might feel icky and coming to radical acceptance of that, that I don't have to actually fix the icky part of the conversation. I need to have the conversation, first of all. Mm -hmm. But then it's also important to, to really have clarity for yourself on what is it that you really want? What it, what are the needs that you are trying to fulfill through setting up on your entrepreneurial journey? What is it that you're trying to gain and get out of it? What is the experience you're trying to have? Be very clear in that for yourself. And then in my case, I did do some reflection of, like you mentioned, what could be some of the fears that would come up for him so that I could address those. Now, I wouldn't say that we're going to always know those things though, because no. that would be, that would be anticipating and, and almost taking responsibility for the other person's communication. So exactly. in this particular case, I just, I had been in it for so long that I was able to kind of anticipate that it's, it's actually being prepared to ask those questions of your partner. What concerns do you have? You know, as I'm sharing this with you, and these are the things that I'd like to embark on, and th this is what I'd like to do. And this is what I'd like to experience. I'm really excited about this. I'd like to hear what you're thinking. I'd like to hear your feedback so that it allows for that conversation to happen, but you're really grounded in where you're coming from. You're grounded before you have the conversation and your purpose behind it so that when you have the conversation and if there's pushback, you know, again, you can come back home to your why so that you mm -hmm. can continue to have that conversation with your partner around your why. I love it. Two things you said. Setting boundaries, uh, and I love that you summarized the why because I, I was going to do that too as well. Like it, it really is the why. What I what I'd like you to clarify for us is 
what is a why? Because sometimes I think people think of a why as being something that is sort of monetary or mm. something tangible. Um, but I'd like to hear your, your version of a why. And then I'd also like to understand from you, I think that setting boundaries to me is a bit of a buzzword these days. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think that people can set boundaries in a way that might be standoffish. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, how do you set proper boundaries? So your why, yeah. what does it mean to you, your definition and the boundary setting? For me, why goes back to your values. You know, what is the meaning mm-hmm. behind the the business that you're trying to create or the the whatever it is that you're taking action on? What is the meaning for you? For me, that's where the why comes from. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the boundaries, um, you're right. I do think it's a buzzword right now. And so it's starting to lose its luster. I think that happens mm-hmm. a lot uh, in this day and age, especially with social media. Oh, but yeah. it is important. <laughs> it is important to learn how that, that boundaries, first of all, they are not boundaries are not walls. They are simply these. My metaphor that I use with all my clients is it's a fence. You know, you're kind of putting this this fence up where you're kind of saying certain things are okay. Certain things are not okay. Fences of course can be moved. Fences have doors. You can let people in and out fences. You can talk through, you know, so that's why I say it's not a wall. It's not a rigid boundary. It's just, it's just a healthy, this is my line. And again, it can be moved. So as you evolve or somebody else evolves and those, they can shift and those boundaries can be moved. But it is important, you know, to recognize there is a difference between a boundary and an ultimatum. So an ultimatum leans into it's this way or, you know, some type of like, we're done, we're out of here. Like, so for instance, an ultimatum would be in this case, um, if for me, it could have been, well, I'm going to do this business. And if you don't support me, I'm, I'm gone. Like I'm out of here. That's an ultimatum. Yeah. A boundary was really around, I'm, I, I'm going to do this and I really love your support. And if you can't, I'm going to continue doing it as best I can. Uh, and you know, I'm going to be here to continue to support you in your role too, in terms of your business, but I'm not going to not go forward with my business. And that was just Mm -hmm. the line that I drew where it wasn't okay for me to give up my dream, but I also wasn't saying, and if you don't support me, I'm, you know, out the door again, that's the ultimatum. So that would be the difference between, and how we can start setting boundaries. It's the difference between a a boundary and an ultimatum. I will say, however, that boundaries do need consequences, meaning, um, if a boundary is, you know, we set a boundary with somebody and they don't honor it at some point, there has to be some type of consequence mm-hmm. because if we don't, then it's really just a suggestion. It's mm-hmm. just, a, it's like, it's more of a suggestion that we're making to somebody. So when we're setting boundaries, it's to be clear what's okay, what's not. If somebody pushes on that boundary, remind them of the boundary. Maybe they push on it a second time. You remind them again. And maybe the third time you're like, okay, well, I've now mentioned this two times and it's not being honored. So here's the consequence that I need to, to enact to, in order to, to respect myself. And do you share that consequence when you're sharing your, I mean, you're obviously not going to say, well, maybe you do, I don't know, maybe you could help with the scripting here, but like when, when you are having that difficult conversation, you, you know, you've done your sort of preliminary, like, okay, this is, this is possibly what could happen. This is possibly what this person could be thinking, feeling mm-hmm. and what their reaction. And then, okay, so maybe something different comes up, but at the end of the day, you said, attach your boundaries to your values. So mm-hmm. when you, are telling somebody, would you tell them the consequence right away? Like, 
It depends. I think it depends on your own situation. I personally feel that clear, clear communication is better than mm-hmm. to spring something on somebody. So especially with exactly. parenting, for instance, we're setting boundaries all the time. So being able to be clear with your, with your child, like I know with my teenagers, the boundary is all like, for instance, around curfew, you know, <laughs> I'm going to need you home by 11 o'clock. And, oh, and no. if, and, and if, yeah. And if that boundary isn't honored, you know, unfortunately I will have to take the car away as a, it's not a punishment. It's more of a, I'm not going to allow, like the boundary is I need to be home. You need to be home by 11. If you're going to be late, call me. If that doesn't happen, then here's the line that, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's an example of being really clear with what the expectation is being really clear with the boundary is, and then allowing them to know what could potentially be the consequence. I mean, Mm -hmm. in conscious parenting, one of the things we always talk about is when you're setting a boundary with a child and you're, and you're communicating the consequence, the consequence needs to somehow be related to the boundary that you're setting. You know, for instance, if you, the boundary can't be something around cleaning your room. And if you don't clean your room, you lose the Xbox for a week because the Xbox has nothing to do with cleaning your room. (laughs) So at least make it somewhat, somewhat tangible to the thing that you're Mm -hmm. asking the person to do. So the consequence, again, if you're setting a boundary, at least have it be somewhat related to what it is that you're setting the boundary around. Okay, that's really good advice. Now, one other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit is values. You know, it's interesting. I do a lot of work in corporate culture, so I I think I understand like values. We're always talking values, the why, the values, and all that. But it's interesting because as I work with women on you know starting businesses, and it's really interesting how probably I'm going to say 90 percent of them don't have a set of values that they can live their life through the lens yes. of those values. So expand yes. a little bit more on what you think values are. Forget Again, for me, the values uh, of an individual person is what is so meaningful to you that that's what, that's what moves you. That's what keeps you moving forward. So, you know, um, many of us have a North Star. Uh, mm-hmm. I often say to people that my North Star is emotional safety meaning that's a deep core value of mine where um, I need to feel emotionally safe if I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody, whoever it may be. So if I'm Mm -hmm. not feeling emotionally safe, we're not really going to be able to build a relationship. Knowing that that's a value of mine allows me to truly discern when I'm meeting people, whether or not I'm going to put energy into working on that relationship or not, because I know that that's a core value of mine. If I don't feel emotionally safe with somebody, I'm not going to put the same energy into it. That's why I say when when working with individuals, oftentimes we have not taken the time to figure out what our core values are, because what happens is, is you know, we, we take on kind of how we were brought up. We take on either our family, our culture, society, whatever, and we just kind of, we use that and we just move through life. Doing that, slowing down and doing that self-reflection to say, okay, what actually is meaningful to me? What are those things that really move me? Finding those top five real core values allows us to then make our decisions and and make our choices of how we want to move forward in different with different things that happen in life if they're all values based actions then we're intrinsically motivated to do the work first of all and second of all we are we're doing it from a place that is built from the inside out so we're not externally driven to do the things that we're doing we're doing it from the inside meaning we are connected it. to the thing that we're doing I love that. And I think everybody should do a values exercise every year. Just, you know, if you don't have values, 
get at least two and they can, and they can be things like honesty and and you know compassion or empathy but then take it a little step further and put some context around it so what does it actually mean in action and i think just having three to start with where it's a it's a word it's a, and that that you've turned into a statement is a really great thing and and you know i think values over time change as you grow i mean i'm sure you probably have some different values now as you've matured in your your business and the things that you want and you're you just keep niching 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 into the things that you know you're really good at you know one of the things that you brought up was um in in the first four questions was you you responded curious whose voice it is and you related that to sort of a fear and i want to talk to you a little bit about fear because oh every day like you think you've got it tackled mm -hmm. but then it can creep up in a different way and you know i i we, just before we started i i told you this little story about this week i i i have this like little fear of launching the the second version of my program passion to profit blueprint and you know it was my daughter that said to me mom what are you talking about you are launched and i thought what and she goes you're already doing it and i thought okay so where is this coming from and i think it's came from it stemmed from a couple of conversations i had with friends and they sort of started to pick at a few like, well, you know, maybe you should do this, maybe, okay, mm -hmm. this, this, okay, this has to change, this has to change. And then I thought, oh my God, I've got this all wrong. I'm not doing, but then I thought, well, what am I talking about? I already do it. And so I love what you said. Whose voice is it? Let's talk about that because I want to hear more about that. Well, you know, oftentimes, especially when we're embarking on maybe an entrepreneurial journey and there's fear coming up around not maybe being good enough to do it, or you mentioned friends will have some comments. Oftentimes the voice is someone else's. It's someone else's doubt that we're taking on as our own. And when we can name that and we recognize, oh, that's coming from, you know, like you mentioned this conversation with this particular friend, for instance, now we can step into observer mode and say, well, that's their voice and that those are their thoughts. What do I actually think? What is it that I know to be true about the thing that I've created? And just what you said is, I've already launched this. I'm already doing it. That's what's actually true. I know. And exactly. we can move forward. And so that happens a lot when people are launching businesses. There's this fear that comes up and it's so important to say, whose voice is it? Whose voice is telling me that I need to be afraid? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's how we were brought up. It's just the risk averse, you know, well, my parents always told me to take the lesser, you know, the lesser, the less risky road, take the safer road. That's another voice that we can pay attention to. And it's, and we can acknowledge, well, yes, there's a risk in this, but there's also a risk in taking a job with a company that where I'm an employee, because we don't have any control mm -hmm, over whether exactly. the job's going to be here tomorrow or not. So we can have, then what we're opening up is to this dialogue within ourselves and we release the attachment to someone else's voice and we actually move into what am I saying about it? What do I think about it? And we can move ourselves from that place. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. So if I, I love everything you just said there, and, and I really think people need to hone in on like, whose voice is it? I, I love it. I think you should post that as a quote. <laughs> um, and then once you understand where did it come from, it's their voice. It's not mine. What do I think? And then there's that third step where 
you know, you have to come to the realization, I think, that those are just thoughts. And mm -hmm. it's something inside of you that's trying to protect you based on maybe a previous experience from when you were little, maybe a failed business from before, or, you know, every time you have a try to have this difficult conversation with your partner, it never works out. So forget it. It's never going to work. And like, it, it kind of makes me want to go back to that client where, you know, she kind of gave up on her dream because she knew she wasn't going to be supported in it. And it's really, it's, it's disheartening when you hear that, you know, and yeah, I, I, I love everything that you're saying there. Tell me a little bit more about um, your journey. So every, like, you know, people listening to this podcast, they're, they're going to be working with you. They're thinking, wow, this girl's got it all together, you know, but there are going to be, do we ever get rid of that fear? I guess, Kamini, is that, that's kind of what I'm trying to go after, like work through your emotional journey of starting this business. We talked a lot about you know, getting, getting it kicked off, getting on the path, but now you're, you know, you're six years into it. You're, you're feeling pretty good. You've helped a ton of people, but there's still mm -hmm. gotta be days. No. Of course. I think that that's part of the human experience, right? There's going to be the ups and downs. There's going to be moments. I, there's definitely moments where maybe self-doubt creeps in because I've done a lot of deep work though. I'm able to recognize it and shift and maybe not hold the same, have the same reaction where I'm holding and getting stuck in those thoughts for it. I'm really, I've worked a long time on being able to recognize the thoughts and say, well, there it is. There's the thought that for instance, um, you know, uh, maybe I don't know that my business can sustain itself. And then it's mm -hmm. like, oh yes, I see that thought. And also I'm showing up every day. I'm doing really, really impactful work with individuals. I love each of my clients. You know, you go into what's actually true and it just, it, there's this recognition that that's just going to be, you know, we're going to have thousands of thoughts a day. Which ones am I going to choose to put energy into? And part of the human experience is about having a little bit of self-doubt. You know, we can't stop self-doubt. It's the same thing when people come to me and they, they want to work through their anxiety. The one thing I'll say is we're not trying to get rid of anxiety because it's almost an impossibility to say. And, and let's be honest, some anxiety is actually very helpful for us because having some anxiety keeps us safe from getting run over by a bus when we're crossing the street because we have some anxiety about getting run over. We're going to stop and we're going to look, right? So it has a purpose. So instead of focusing so much on getting rid of the thoughts or getting rid of the self-doubt, it's noticing it and then figuring out what is more beneficial. Where do I actually want to spend my energy? What's actually true? What are my values-based actions? All of those things take you to where you want to go. So it's not such a fight with the thoughts and the feelings that are not helpful. I love that. And, you know, I was just thinking too, like I thought, oh, oh I did something right then this week because I, you know what I did when I had that fear? I had the conversations, I came home and I just wrote them out and I thought, mm. are they true? And, and I think that's what you were saying is like, know that they're always going to be there. They're there to kind of maybe even slow you down a little, just so that you're aware and that you're not just guns a blazing and <laughs> just plowing through because you might've missed something along the way too. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, things show up on the path. So maybe that slowing down helps you to take a broader look at something but then write them down and, you know, right beside it, I just went, is this true? No, mm -hmm. it's not true. And here's why. And I think that, that, that really helped me. And, and, and I, and I love that, you know, even yourself, like you're, 
you're helping people get unstuck, you're helping people through anxieties, you're helping them through all these things, but yet you have those moments too. And like you said, they're never going to go away. So tell me, how does, how do you, when somebody first comes to you, do you try to get them sort of baselined or is it just sort of a free for all? Like, tell me what you would, and then you go after that one thing, or is it, are you trying to set sort of some foundational, tell me a little bit about your process. Yeah. Well, I do run my practice very client focused. So it's never a cookie cutter approach and saying, this is exactly, this is the prescription. However, um, I do believe in really helping my clients come home to their values and come home to their needs, values, Mm -hmm. core values, core needs, just because that can be ground zero. That can be something that they, that they come back to and ground themselves in routinely. So that's part of the work that we do pretty soon Mm -hmm. upfront in terms of the work. But what I like to understand is, you know, really open up that doorway to understanding of, you know, where they are now, but then also can we understand a little bit more about the family of origin? Can we understand some of those major experiences that they've had? Not to pathologize or to diagnose, but to simply, again, work towards this deeper understanding of self. That just allows for us to start unpacking where, again, when we're talking about voices, you know, whose voice is that? Sometimes mm-hmm. that comes out of those conversations. Um, recognizing what false beliefs might be there. You know, a lot of us carry that I'm not good enough or I don't mm-hmm. deserve, or I'm not worthy of, I'm not lovable. Those are big ones that come up. Helping start to uncover what are some of those belief patterns that are there. Again, mm-hmm. because as those become part of the conscious, we bring them from the subconscious to the conscious, that awareness allows us to then, you know, the, the client then has the ability to recognize their choice point. Do I continue to lean into that belief or do I lean into again, values and also what's true about me at my current age today. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of us are still, we're still leaning into stories that we've been living since we were seven or eight years old and don't even five years old. As you said, you, you were your five-year-old self. What would you tell your, your five-year-old self now? Oh, that's such a great question. Ah! Uh, I would, I would tell my five-year-old self that, um, you're exactly who you need to be. Mm -hmm. Well done. Well done. Where can people find you? I am easily found on the internet at comedywood.com or That's Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the handle is It's Authentic Me. Awesome. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to put all the links in the show notes. You have been an amazing guest. Thank you for all of your insights and for actually leading the way because I think there are so many women that when they're going to listen to this, when they listen to this podcast, are going to find themselves in it and hopefully they say to themselves, you know what? She had the difficult conversation. She was running her husband's business. That was was probably one of the more difficult things to leave. And you did it. And you had the difficult conversation. You did it in a very empathetic and passionate way. So well done to you. I look forward to uh, maybe even having a little few conversations with you myself personally. (laughs) Um, But thank you for your time today, Kamania. You've been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.